welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. I feel like there's a little bit of a New Year's Eve hangover in the room. It's kind of like, uh, everybody that I talk to is sort of like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? So wake up, people. Wake up. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, okay, so I, in preaching classes, they tell you, like, you should always start with, like, a funny story or some sort of illustration, you know, and then have this really, really, like, you know, powerful story at the end to sort of begin and end with. I never do that, so I probably would fail preaching classes, but I heard this story. Actually, I, I was there for this story, and I just thought, it has nothing to do with anything, but I thought it was really funny, and so I'm going to share it, okay? So I was at dinner with some friends uh, just the other night at their house, and uh, our friend's mother was there, and um, she had been attending Awaken for a while and was trying to talk to her friends um, and explain to them like about the church that she was attending. And this is when we were meeting at the joke joint, okay? So, um, <laughs> so she says, so I'm telling my friends about this church that I'm attending, and I'm trying to decide, like, where do you, I even begin? Like, how do I tell my friends who would just not really know what to make of this whole thing at the joke joint? This is how she says, she goes, so I told them, well, let's just say there isn't a pressed shirt in the house. So if you ever need something to describe the church that you go to, there isn't a pressed shirt in the house. So this is for Anne. I wore my pressed shirt this morning and my vest. So Anne, we have a pressed shirt in the house. Uh, This one's for you, sweetheart. So that's that. Um, Okay, welcome. Glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark. Um, If you're new, we are uh, beginning a new series uh, uh, this side of the new year. And we are going to be following what's called the narrative lectionary. Now, if you've never been around church or you don't know what a lectionary is, there's a version of it that is, uh, it's been around for a long time. Uh, lots of liturgical churches follow. And then this sort of, sort of grew out of that. And in the narrative lectionary, essentially, you begin with the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis. And in a year's time, you basically walk through the narrative arc of the story of God in the Bible. And so that's what we're going to be doing this year. And I thought I would just show you, because uh, this is a bit of a, a learning experience. I think last week I, re- I asked for a show of hands. There were two people in the room who knew what the Revised Common Lectionary is. So just this is, this, is, uh, this is free, friends. This is the church calendar. If you didn't know this, it begins in Advent, uh, which we just experienced right over here with Christ the King Sunday. There are seven weeks of Advent Um, four or five of which uh, are before Christmas, including Christmas, and then this period which we're in now, which is called Epiphany or Christmas Tide. That's where we are right now. And then there's Ordinary Time, which is seven weeks. So there are seven-week sections. So Advent and then Ordinary Time, and then we move into what's called Lent, uh, which is right here, which is, of course, seven weeks again. And then that moves into resurrection and Eastertide, which is the, the, the experience after Easter, which is also seven weeks here. And it ends with Pentecost, which if you don't know, this is the giving of the law in the Old Testament when Moses Charlton Heston goes up on Mount Sinai and gets the Bible from God. That's the giving of the law, the original giving of the law. And then Pentecost, which was this, what the Jews would celebrate happened at the same time when the, the Spirit comes to the church in the book of Acts. So that's all happening at Pentecost. We'll talk more about that. And then there's a large chunk of ordinary time which goes all the way back to Advent and the beginning of the calendar. So that's the church calendar, friends. That's where we are. If you need to know, we're in the middle of Christmas tide. So um, we're going to do Mark. And for review, uh, Mark is one of the, uh, it's believed to be the oldest gospel that was written or the first gospel that was written. And then Matthew and Luke take its cues from the book of Mark. 
Um, the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the, does anyone remember from last week, the synoptic gospels. Well done, well done. So they all contain very similar material, and then John is quite different from the other three. So we're in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, Mark 1, and I'll ask you to stand, and we'll read starting in verse 21. It says this, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. That actually happened last week here, so um, totally joking. (laughs) Totally joking. Can you imagine some of these things? We read them as if they're like, you know, oh yeah, this impure spirit, and he's like, ah! Like, that's bizarre, that's crazy. Verse 27, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her. He took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, because that's what you do when you get healed. (laughs) That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Pray with me. God, as we gather this morning and we study your word, I ask that uh, you might be present to us in ways that uh, we can see you and hear you, uh, sense you. God, it's my prayer that our time in your word would be more than an academic exercise, that it would be more than uh, duty, but that we would come with expectant hearts because you... uh, consistently over time, over thousands of years, have revealed yourself to people like us uh, through this word. And so we come hoping that you might have something for us this morning. We pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we began in Mark and Mark's gospel opens not with the birth of Jesus, but rather with a story about the baptism of, uh, of Jesus with John the Baptist and then moves straight into this section that we just read this morning. 
Um, and I want to set the stage a little bit before we sort of unpack this passage. And uh, to do that, I'll say this. Jesus spends most of his time in the Gospels, uh, most of his time as an adult, in a particular area called the Galilee. So I have a couple of maps that I want to show you. Um, and this up here, this is Israel from north to south. This up here is the Sea of Galilee. This is the River Jordan, and it flows down into the Dead Sea. So Jesus, if you want to zoom in on that next one, spends most of his time as an adult up here around the Sea of Galilee. You have the wedding at Cana, which is the first miracle where he turns water into wine. You have a number of the people that he raised from the dead, one being Lazarus. A lot of the stories that you get, the parables that are told, they all happen around this region of Galilee in the north. Um, He spends a little bit of time in Jerusalem once, and then he comes back to the Galilee, and then he goes down to Jerusalem at the end of his life because they would have celebrated Passover in Jerusalem. So all of the Jews around would have gathered or went to Jerusalem to, to celebrate Passover, and this is, of course, the week that he gets crucified and the end of his life. Um, so his home base in ministry was around this region, and more specifically, uh, his home base was Capernaum, right here on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. We know uh, through a lot of different uh, archaeology and scripture that he spends his time here in Capernaum and around the Sea of Galilee, and even more specifically, in a home that was Simon Peter's mother-in-law's. So uh, if you can go to that next picture, Trevor, this is the temple in the city of Capernaum. Now, you could go on the internets and find, just look up Capernaum. You can find all kinds of pictures. I actually took this one. I was there in 2013, so it was unbelievably cool to, to be there. Um, a no, couple things you'll notice. One, the rocks that the town is built from are built from the rocks around the region, which would have been like a volcanic black rock. And most cities in that area would have had a temple that went with the other rocks that were built there. We know for Capernaum that these stones actually came from Jerusalem because they're the same stones that you see in the temple and on the wall in Jerusalem. So we know a lot of things from that, but one being Capernaum was doing just fine. There was a lot of trade happening. There was a lot of ways that they could raise money and funds, and they would have shipped these in from Jerusalem in the south to build this temple. It's one of the most beautiful temples in all of the Sea of Galilee's area. The next slide, uh, this one here, is uh, archaeologists found this, and they kind of left it untouched, so a lot of it gets reconstructed so it looks cool for tourists. This one is sort of as it was, and they know, uh, they believe this to be the actual house of Simon Peter's mother. There was an inscription in the stone about Jesus and Peter in this particular building. So when you go to Israel, you find like there's all kinds of uh, tourism is the industry, and so any place you can build a shrine and, and get a bunch of people like us to pay money to to see it, you do that. This is one of those places, so there's actually a large, uh, um, not a, it's a Catholic, not a cathedral, but like a worship place over the top of this. There's actually a glass floor that you can look down into this this house in. So it's very, very cool. But this is believed to be the house that Jesus would have grown, done his ministry in, and that Simon Peter would have lived in. So just so you get a sense of like, this is a real place, he would have hung out in that village day in and day out. Um, this is Capernaum and where he starts. Now, I want to unpack this passage that we've just read, and I think it, you could do so. It, it's pretty compact, and it comes in a couple of different parts, and I want to pull a few threads from each of those. Uh, the first is a conversation with this demon-possessed guy, and it's one about authority. So imagine that you go to the temple, and you show up to this temple that you just saw, 
And uh, on any, like any other day, a clear, crisp morning, you show up for worship, and there are teachers who would sit on the stairs, and they're conversing and dialoguing about the Torah, which is the Old Testament, the first five books, and they're, they're talking about, essentially, all of the other teachers who have commented on the scriptures and what they would have thought. Totally normal, everybody's doing this, right? But you show up one day, and now there's like a different kind of voice that you're hearing. Usually, when the teachers are teaching, they're talking about what so, Rabbi so-and-so said about the text. But this guy, he's talking about, it's like he has a, a different kind of tone to it, as if he has a direct connection to the original voice of the text. And Mark notices this, and the people around him notice this, that there's something different about what Jesus is doing and saying. He's not just repeating things that have been said or commenting on what others have said, but he's saying something that's like weighty, and it's heavy, and it has an authoritative nature. It's like invitational, but it's very convicting, right? So... Jesus is doing this, and Mark mentions this. He's not... And then there's this demon-possessed guy. So this guy's uh, uh, possessed by some kind of spirit, and he shows up at the temple, and Jesus calmly stands up and rebukes this, this demon, tells him to be quiet and to leave this man. In doing so, the demon, like, calls out who Jesus is. He says, you're the Holy One of God, and Jesus says, be quiet, leave this guy, which he does. No big deal. I've often wondered what that would be like, you know? I get, evidently, this kind of thing happens, not much in America, but uh, in other places of the world. So I'm still holding out for that one. I want to see that someday, but I guess it would be kind of freaky. Either way, this demon leaves, and, and I'm wondering, here's the question I want to ask. Have you ever been somewhere or spoken with someone who, when they spoke, they had a particular authority on an issue or a topic one, one that was, it had an effect on you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I was, uh, had the, the opportunity when I was younger to go to Chicago on a number of mission trips. And one particular time we went and visited this place called Humboldt Park. And we worked with this little church in Humboldt Park. And if you've been to Chicago, you know Humboldt Park is not a neighborhood you want to be in after the sun goes down. So there's this particular little church in Humboldt Park, and we're meeting there, and so they have all these gatherings while we're there. And one particular night, there was this guy, I will never forget his face, he shared uh, uh, at the little church service that night, um, he was super tall, Hispanic fellow, like just an absolute fantastic mustache, like you couldn't pay for a mustache this cool. And he just kind of stands there, and and, like everybody in the room is kind of like, whoa, all right. And he begins to, to tell his story. And he shared about how, as he grew up, he got sort of sucked into gang life in Chicago. And there was a particular gang called the Latin Kings Gang. And he sort of made his way up through the the ranks of the Latin Kings Gang to the point where he was one of the leaders of this gang in Chicago. And, of course, you can imagine all the things that one must do to be a part of a gang and to stay in a gang. And he did them all and had done them all. And he started to share about the day that he met this Jesus, And so this guy is standing there, a guy that I can only imagine has done some unbelievably uh, interesting things, and he begins to share about the day he meets Jesus and how the, the good news of Jesus actually changed his life and transformed his life. And the power of this gospel transformed him into a new person, like it literally saved him from violence and gangs and drugs and death, and now he has this new life. And so you're standing there listening to this guy thinking... This isn't a guy that you'd want to argue with, especially about this story. And as he spoke, there was an authority, there was a weight to what he was saying because of his experience that he had. So a question for us to ponder this morning. 
When the church speaks in our world, does it have any authority? And by that, I don't mean like, does it have the ability to tell others what to do? But when the church, when the people of Jesus in our day and age speak out, is there any weight to it? Is there any kind of chutzpah? Is there, do people listen? And I think that if we were honest, and I don't think I have to convince you all very hard, but when the church speaks out in our culture, in our day and age, there's something that has been lost from this passage and the tone of what's happening here with Jesus to where we are living now. And I've often heard people speak or talk about the church and say, you know, when, the, when people who follow Jesus start speaking, I just kind of stop listening. Yes? You hear what I'm saying? And I wonder, why is that? And I think we could probably talk about all sorts of different reasons why we think that the church has lost its voice, as it were, in our day and in our age. And I don't necessarily think that would be a good use of our time, per se, but I do want to stop here to ask a couple of questions about us specifically, and me personally, and you personally. Instead of pointing fingers and arguing about why this might be the case, maybe just a couple of questions for us to consider this morning. What would it look like if our words and actions as Christians in our culture, in our world, actually had weight to them? What would it look like if the church, when it spoke and when it like acted in the world, people stopped and said, there's something here that's interesting, or there's at least something that I want to hear more about. What would change in my life specifically for my witness to carry more weight with my family and friends? What would change in your life specifically? What could you do specifically in your life to begin restoring the message of Jesus in our culture? Maybe something to think about this morning. And before we move on to Jesus' response and and, and his response to these healings, there's there's something else that I want to make sure we don't miss here. When Jesus begins to speak with power and authority about the kingdom of God and the work of God in the world, there's opposition to that. So the crowds are gathering and people are coming because what Jesus is doing and saying is actually transforming the way people live their lives. And because of that, there's an authority and a weight that's there. There's something that's real and and people are coming to see it and taste it and experience it for themselves. And when that happens, there's opposition to that message. So I guess I just want to pause and say to us, to you, to me as individuals and us as a community, if we're interested at all in working towards restoring or or at least beginning the process of restoring the the proclamation, the, the name of Jesus in our culture and in our families and in our lives, are we ready for what might come and what might follow? When the church is dormant and it's really not doing any good in the world, Whatever opposes that, however you make sense of that, whether it's Satan as a person or some systemic evil or whatever that looks like, if the church isn't doing anything, there's nothing for it to do, right? But when the church actually starts living out the message of Jesus, it's like alert. There's something to do. There's something to oppose. So I guess I just want to stop and say, awaken. If we're interested in living out the kingdom of God and being people that are salt and light in the world, We shouldn't be surprised if there's opposition to that. And are you ready for that? Are you you even aware of that? And again, I'm not the kind of person who's like looking for the devil under every rock, but I also don't want to miss the fact that the, the Bible teaches that there is a realm that we don't see, where there are things that are happening. Jesus casts one out of this guy, right? So, the first part of this 
Mark 1, Jesus and this authority that he speaks with. The second part, if you want to skip to verse 35, notice what happens there. Jesus uh, says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus, so there's all, this, there's all this hubbub, there's all this activity about what he's saying and what he's doing. And people are coming and they're gathering. And Jesus' response is not to add another service. Jesus' first response, it seems, from the text, and this is consistent throughout his life, that when the crowds come, he actually steps back. And he spends time in, in quiet. He spends time in prayer. Now, it may be interesting that we're going to two gatherings in February. And there's been, I would submit to you, as a person who's been a part of that process, a lot of prayer and a lot of discernment. So this is not something we're doing without prayer. But I want to just make sure that we get that Jesus' first response is an intimate relationship that he has with Abba. He moves to prayer first. And it seems like a very, it seems like a no-brainer. But I want to ask a question this morning. What if Jesus' power and authority that he speaks with comes, is rooted in an intimate relationship that he has with Abba in prayer? What if the actual power that he speaks with and the authority that he speaks with is rooted and connected to the time that he spends intimately with God? I'm curious... How many, how many people in the room feel like they, they, they have a, a gift or like a proclivity, like prayer comes naturally to you? Would you just raise your hands? I just kind of want to see here. If, raise them high. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. If you feel like prayer kind of comes naturally to you, okay? A few, yeah. Now, the other side, for those of you, maybe prayer doesn't feel natural to you or it doesn't come naturally to you, go ahead and raise your hands. Okay. So yeah, most of you, right? And I would, I would put myself in this category. Prayer does not not come naturally to me. It's not something that I, that I do naturally or, or comes easily. If we believe in our heads that Jesus' power and authority and, and the, the way in which he lives his life comes from a direct connection with God through prayer, and yet m- many of us spend days on end without being in connection and in prayer at all with God, it seems like there's a little bit of a disconnect there. And I want to challenge us this morning. For all of us who, in the room who feel like, yeah, maybe prayer doesn't come very naturally to me, I was wondering as I was thinking about this teaching, like what, what's one thing we could do collectively to just take one small step towards believing this in our, heart, in our head and in our actual lives through our actions so we could say, yeah, Jesus seems to get this power and this connection with God through prayer and it's lived out. I believe that, I see it. Now I'm actually gonna allow that to impact my life. What's one thing we could do? So here's my challenge to us this week. Would you be willing to say five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, ten minutes, pick a number this week and set aside whatever that number is and commit it to just praying? If it's two minutes, it's fine. But like one step, right? There's apps that you can download on your phones, you know? Do you guys know this? There's like little prayer apps and things. I have one. What's, what's it called? Uh, Crystal, you told me about it. What is it? Pray as you go. It's fantastic, guys. It like does, it like, it like leads you right through it. So if you're thinking, I don't even know where to begin, pray as you go. It's for Apple. Is it for Android too? I don't know. Pray as you go. Find that one, okay? So 
would you commit to just like a small amount of time this week for seven days, all right, seven days, and then next week when you come back, there's a little prayer space right over here, there's magic markers, there's Sharpies in there, and write anything that you find on the wall. Like if you do this this week and you feel like God answers a prayer or, or speaks to you in some way or you feel uh, something happened because of that, share it. In, like just write it on the wall in there. So if for nothing else, you get a free pass to write on the wall, okay? And I think, I'm just curious if this, uh, to see what would happen. If a group of people just said, took one small step towards being in an intimate relationship with God through prayer, what would happen? So let's try it. I'll do it. Will you? Okay. So pick a number, whatever you feel like it is, and let's try it for seven days and just see what happens. All right? Maybe you could email me too if something, something interesting happens. I don't have all your emails, so I won't email you. Um, so Jesus spends time, he, 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 all the crowds are coming, and his response is prayer. And it's interesting, I want to note quickly, that what Jesus hears when he goes to prayer with God, right? He says, let's, the disciples say, like, all these people are coming, let's go back to the place we were, so that they'll be there, and you can talk more. And Jesus says this, let's go somewhere else so I can share the good news about the kingdom with people who don't know yet, because that's why I've come. Important to note that when Jesus hears from God, he's reminded that his work is for people who have not yet come. There's a long debate about the church and like, what is this for? When we gather on a Sunday morning, is this for like the people of God or is this for the people who don't yet know? And some churches say it's for the people who don't yet know. And so everything that we do on Sunday is about evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. That's one way to think about it. I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. For me personally, I feel this call as a pastor So when we gather, this is like a spiritual community for the people of God. And my job is to remind you again and again and again that your work, your yes, the invitation that you hear from God is to participate in the work of God in the world. So my job as a pastor, our job as leaders is to continually remind you that your work is out there, that your work is in your family, that your work is in your job, your work is in your life as you live it as a person who follows Jesus. There's a verse uh, that Paul says, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's my job. So when we gather, I want to continually be reminding you and pushing you one small step, one click forward to maybe what's it look like to take one step towards that when we gather. So when Jesus goes to prayer, that's what he hears, a reminder that our work is not for this. This is not a country club. This is not a country club. This is not a place where you get, mem- you get services and you know, we provide spiritual goods and deeds. This is not what's happening here. This is a reminder. This is an encouragement. This is to come and gather and be encouraged for the work that's at hand. Amen? So lastly, Jesus, uh, in, this, in verse 40, he heals this guy with leprosy. And his response to this guy is fascinating, right? He heals this guy. He's had leprosy his whole life. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And all of a sudden, he's healed. And Jesus' response to this guy is, be quiet. Don't tell anybody. And time and time again, we see this in the Gospels. And I always find it interesting, and I wonder what's going on here. There's a lot of people who have lots of theories about this, but Jesus essentially tells the guy, go back to the temple, present yourself to the priests, and offer the sacrifices necessary for the cleansing of a person with leprosy. It's as if Jesus doesn't want to rock the boat if he doesn't absolutely have to. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself nor does he want to upset the folks at the temple. 
Like Jesus knows if, he, if this guy starts running around and telling these stories, it's going to turn into Jesus versus the temple or Jesus versus the priest, which gets a guy in trouble, maybe even killed. Here's the key. Jesus doesn't want to draw attention to himself, but rather only wants to do the will of the one who sent him. It's like he's holding something back that he could absolutely use to prop himself up or this thing that he's doing, this ministry, these teachings. And yet he holds it back because he's subservient to some other priority and mission that's bigger than himself, which at times requires him to hold on to information and not always share it. So what does this have to do with us? How many of you have a cell phone in your pocket right now? Lots of you, right? Almost all of us. We, can, we live our lives with the capacity to document it and share it instantaneously at nearly any moment. What if this morning you were invited to consider the discipline of silence and secrecy? Not secrecy like somebody needs to know something and you're holding out on them, but rather like when we feel the urge to publish something because, and here's the razor's edge, here's, here's the fine line, and we've all crossed it and we've all known when we do, right? When you post something and you offer it to the world and really it's about you. What if you were invited into the discipline of silence and secrecy? When something is really actually at the end of the day about you and, I'll use me, when it's about me and my image, or my accomplishments, or my dreams and hopes and desires, or my beautiful family, or my whatever, what if instead of putting that out there, you held it, you kept it? As a discipline. Now, I may be taking the text and applying it liberally here. Maybe this isn't what Jesus had in mind. I don't know. But what if... What about holding on to something instead of giving it away? What if you were invited into secrecy and silence? We kept it. We held on to it. Imagine what that would be like. What if we, like Jesus, trusted in something bigger than ourselves? What if we saw ourselves, my life, as a part of something bigger than me? And my priorities, my allegiances served it and not the other way around. What if we held on to something as an act of faith that that all that is good and fruitful will come, to, will come to life in its time and in God's time? What if it was an act of faith as we did this? So maybe this week, just a small challenge. Would you consider committing to a discipline of silence and secrecy? When you feel this, this temptation or this desire to put something out there that maybe at the end of the day is about you and not something else, hold it. I wonder if Facebook would still be in business. (laughs) Probably not. So let me close with this. uh, I'm going to invite John and uh, the band to come back and we'll close with song. As they do, there's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite authors. He's dead. Uh, Unfortunately, he was, he was killed in a, a concentration camp, actually, and uh, at a very young age. And often people wonder what we would have if he wasn't killed so young. But one of the things he said was that the church in Germany lost its right to speak. 
the, the gospel of Jesus because of their unwillingness to stand up and live the gospel in the face of Nazi Germany. He said, essentially, when we didn't do that as the church, which was the move that we should have made, we sort of forfeited something. Like, we lost the weight of the the proclamation of the gospel. And sometimes I've wondered, we live in a very different time and a very different age, but I wonder if there isn't something about that that's true of us, where the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ has lost something because of the way in which the church has or has not entered into any number of different conversations. So I pray for the day when the people of God speaks with authority because of the faithfulness and power of their witness to the good news about Jesus. And I pray for us, I pray for Awaken, I pray for me, I pray for you, that we, by the sacrificial way that we live our lives and love our neighbors as ourselves, would have a voice. And like Mark, when those around us heard the sound of our words and saw the witness of our lives, would say, there's something there. I'm not sure what it is, but I want to know more about it. So maybe this morning, would you take one small step towards that? Maybe it's a move towards prayer. Maybe it's a move towards the secrecy. Maybe it's something else. Let me offer a word of prayer and a moment of silence to consider what would it look like for us as individuals and as a community to move one step towards faithfully living as people who follow Jesus in the world. Let me offer a word of prayer. God, as we take just this moment of silence and we consider uh, our part in being ambassadors and representatives of you and your good news, the gospel, uh, would you speak to us? Would you make it clear for each one of us what that looks like, what one thing could be as we move towards that, as we work to restore the voice, the proclamation of the good news about Jesus in our world, in our own families, in our workplaces, God. So speak to us, we pray. Remember that the prayer team is always available and we would love to pray with you or offer a blessing over you and your family. May you come to see and know the authority and power of the good news about Jesus. May it change your life and the lives of those around us so that we can say, look, look what God has done. And so, God, we pray, do something in our lives and at Awaken through this community that only you can take credit for. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.